we're obviously in the, in the same world, right? Like these are conversations <laughs> that we normally would be having regardless of being in podcast form or not. Cause this is stuff that we both, well, all three of us nerd out about. And like, I spend my Friday nights looking at like how to be more efficient with content creation or commenting on LinkedIn. So it's, it's kind of weird to some people. Right. But like to us, like this is our jam. Um, it's so, so funny. It's so funny. People are like, how have you changed your strategy since this has happened? I'm like, aside from being more empathetic, like nothing has changed in turn and not being able to film in real life. So I've been moving more to audio. Um, like that's it. The strategy has remained the same. Right. And, and when you say like, I guess this is a perfect jumping off point. Like it, and, well, one, um, super excited to chat with you, Chris, like, thanks so much for her, you know, hopping on the show with me and Kevin today. Um, but like the, the real reason why I was so intrigued by your story was, you know, you took a company from zero to a million in, in revenue with bootstrapping by yourself. And it's something that's, it's, it's not easily done, right? Like you, you went from zero to a million in, in a, less than a year with creating content. Like that's kind of crazy, but now as you're doing more audits of, of businesses in the 50, you know, to $200 million range, and you're, you're talking with these people every day about, you know, how their content's off and um, what they could be doing to improve. Like you just said it, like your strategy hasn't changed. Like, so yeah. can, could you shine a little bit of light on that? And then Kevin and I can kind of dive in with some topics about uh, how we can go a little bit deeper on those. Yeah. I mean, we went from uh, literally $0 in revenue to well over seven figures uh, in less than 11 months. We sent zero outbound emails. We made zero cold calls. We spent $0 on advertising on digital, or we went to zero trade shows. All the things that companies tend to do, we did none of those. We produced organic content, um, pot committed to that. I've seen it work ever since I was um, running demand gen in a company, a $30 million company probably five years ago now. And I just saw how much of an opportunity was and I saw how much more efficient it was than the common things that companies would use to scale. And you go look around and like there are companies that have four account executives and six SDRs calling every day that are starting at 200K ARR and have not gotten as much revenue as we've been able to. It's a just a much more efficient way to grow, I think. Um, and so if you look at companies that have raised money and are, you know, at the lower end of a million dollars, like they are going about it a different way. We're doing, we were bootstrapped. So like I didn't have the opportunity to go out and hire 10 full-time salespeople, nor would I have if I had the money. And so, um, yeah, those are, those are some of the things about how, how we got here. Now let's jump to what we're looking at it at, um, at different companies. And so, um, in general, like the way that I approach things, I think is is progressive and different. Um, a lot of companies, just the way that I think about things and the way that I think about things then um, empowers me to do the things in the way that I do them. So most companies don't see metrics and things that I look at the same way, which prevents them from doing any of the things that I'm talking about, right? Like putting out content on LinkedIn for 60 days straight and not getting enough leads from it would prevent, would have most companies say like, this isn't worth it. We're going to shut it down. Um, and I just like saw something different. I measure it differently. Um, which then gives me the, uh, like the confidence to go and do it myself. So, um, yeah, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. I'm sure there's a couple things in there you have follow up questions on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I've, I've followed your content for a while now. And I think, 
I would definitely say that the the concepts, the strategies, the the concepts you talk about are it defies what most marketers are talking about, how they want to measure, how they want to go to market. Where does that come from? Like, did you just wake up one day and you're like, great idea and just run with it? Or, or is that just sort of like your, your mindset to, to challenge the status quo? Um, so I think the answer is uh, I definitely challenged the, the status quo starting in 2015. Um, actually like almost all in my career, I studied engineering was very process driven and would start looking at things in like a system level and be like, this doesn't make sense. So I would go into businesses like 23 years old and be like, this is the most important problem you can solve the products right now. You're sourcing the stuff in the U S like the cost of goods is five times higher than it needs to be. Let's start sourcing the most expensive parts out of China when we can get in when they're commodities and blah, 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 blah. So I would just find problems and, and solve them for companies. And then when I, um, when I got into like a demand gen role, I basically built it from the ground up inside of a company with no direction. And so I did all of these things. I had ebook downloads and I put them into nurture cadences, just exactly how marketers are told to do them. And after running that play for six months and paying for the people to submit it with cold targeted social, which is what most companies are running. And I looked back at the data, I was like, this is not worth it. It is not working. And so I stopped doing it. But a lot of, a lot of people in companies are, 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 um, either not able to, not able to stop doing it because of the metrics that they're scored on, which then drives their behavior. And so they're over here, like we got a thousand ebook downloads this month. We won without even taking a look at the revenue and seeing, Oh, we, we had a thousand ebook downloads. It cost us blah, blah, blah to promote it. It cost us this much time to make it. We closed one deal for 5k ARR. And then like, they don't look at it at that level. And so when I go into companies and audit that type of things, I'll go in and break down all the different channels and what they're doing. It's very easy when, cause all the companies are running direct response. Like we don't run a lot of direct response, um, but they are all are. So the attributions lined up and you go in and look and you're like, okay, from your LinkedIn channel, you've currently spent $300,000 this year. You've gotten blah, blah, blah amount of leads and you close one deal. And the one deal was worth, you know, whatever, $10,000. Like we spent 300 to get 10,000. The sales cycle has had its time to play out. Like this isn't working. Or, you know, you're spending $200,000 a year on content syndication. We haven't closed one deal from the content syndication that you did last year. Like, how does this make sense? Um, and so those are some of the like processes that I'll go through and look. And it's just like, it, it just feels very obvious to me when I do it. Maybe it's through the experience that I have or whatever. But um, for, for whatever reason, I don't see marketers challenging those behaviors um, in a way that that allows them to change. That's interesting because as I, as, as I think about like a $300,000 ad spend, and this is something I heard you talk about in another interview and saying like, okay, well, what, what about the trade show money? Like it, it, being smarter about allocating, you know, funds to specific resources and priorities. Like, could you talk a little bit about how, you help people identify that top priority because, and to give you some context, one of the things that I've been going back and forth all in conversations is like so many companies will say, these are my top priorities, like multiple. But in reality, if you have so many top priorities, then do you actually have anything you're focused mm -hmm. on? It's like, I'm, that's a question I'm curious to hear your response to. Yeah. So, I mean, on, to go back to the LinkedIn thing, um, because companies do it this way, the people, the person that's running LinkedIn is incentivized on two core metrics, number of leads and cost per lead. It actually doesn't matter anything farther down the funnel because of how they've designed their system. 
regardless of whether or not that system actually works. And so the person over there running the ads, no fault to them, like they're hitting their goals. They have, they spent $300,000. They collected 3000 leads at a hundred dollars a lead. They got, you know, that the math theoretically would work if those leads actually closed, but they don't. And so, um, so inside of the company, the way that they've designed their system in a very like structured way without actually seeing the end result is why we have those types of like gaps, I would say. Um, and in terms of priorities, like when I go in and, and audit companies, typically what we'll find is that there's, well, how many things like one, two, three, four, five things that they should stop doing immediately because uh, either I, the metrics look exactly the same as the 10 other companies that I've audited already. And I know it doesn't work mm-hmm. or because it's just very black and white clear that what they're doing is not, not effective. Um, conversely, they might be doing a couple of things that are working really well. And we're going to want to figure out how to, how to max out those different types of channels first. So these things aren't working, take budget, move to things that are make, and then max out those types of areas. And then from there, it's just, I think based on experience, uh, on my side, it's just like, we have a, we have a core like formula that we, we run that I think makes a lot of logical sense. The first one is be able to set everything up so you can measure everything. Not that those metrics become the live all end all, but that we can, that we have the data if we need it. The, the next step is capture existing demand. And so for a SaaS company, that would be intent-based paid search, some creative retargeting flows that are not get a demo and an Instagram story ad, um, intent-based YouTube pre-roll retargeting, um, G, the referral sites like G2 and Captera optimization, um, conversion rate optimization, lead handoff optimization. You go in and you look at companies and they're generating a ton of MQLs and it's taking their SDRs an hour to follow up and they're following up with an email with no calendar link and you have to go back and forth with an email with a prospect to schedule a meeting. It just makes no sense. And so like all that could be solved with a SaaS tool that's 300 bucks a month. Um, and so that's, uh, that's step two, capture existing demand. Everyone that's already looking for you, how do you win? Most companies stop there. Um, the next, uh, the next part of the process would be create new demand. And so the way that we create new demand is cold targeted paid social with content, not with advertisements to drive people into a sales conversion. People are incentivized to drive people into a sales conversion because they treat their marketing like SDRs. But I know based on experience that doing those things are again, going to lead you to a impressive leading metric like cost per lead and number of leads, but are not going to actually generate revenue. So we don't do them anymore. Um, so if you're running a super, just a a preface there, if you're running a super transactional model, $99 a month product, that's not uh, freemium or or product led, like maybe that can work, but we mainly work with companies that are selling products, 10 K ACV and up. And like, you're not going to run a cold targeted ad to someone that's never heard of you that says, get a demo, have them fill out the form, follow up with them right away, and then have them book a meeting, schedule a demo, get their whole team there and then buy something. It just doesn't work like that. If it did, we'd have a lot more larger companies that are growing super fast. It just doesn't work like that. So we use content, cold targeted. We have like eight or 10 different plays that we run depending on the, the company and the channel and the audience. Uh, that can be heavy Facebook paid. If we can get to the audience on Facebook, that is by far the number one channel because it's less expensive and the ad platform's better and it has way more scale. Um, if that doesn't work or this, the audience is more narrow or for whatever reason, we have to move to LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn can work. The company needs to have a pretty decent size ACV in order for that to even make sense from an economic standpoint. So. Um, LinkedIn can work. It's just not my favorite channel right now, but if we have to use it, we will. 
Um, and then at times we'll use YouTube, haven't touched Twitter. Um, the targeting just isn't very good for B2B. And I just don't think that that is a, an effective use of time until you've maxed out other channels before that. And so that is create new demand. Ideally, like what you're doing is distributing content. The, your target buyers are consuming the content. There is no call to action. They are receiving messages constantly. And through the brand awareness and the messaging that you're delivering, it creates new demand that drives people through the funnel into your processes to capture new demand. And then the fourth step is win on brand, which is where I think most companies should go anyway, but usually they need to take steps two and three in order to even have the confidence to do some of the things that I do right now with, with complete confidence, which is podcast, long form video, win on organic social, um, event and field marketing that's not driven on number of leads or sales conversions or, you know, having an SDR follow up afterwards. Um, those are, those are end up being the final road that once you get there, ideally, if you get those working well enough, then you can either maintain your advertising spend or lower your advertising spend over time. You drive more inbound conversions and you lower your customer acquisition costs. So, it sounds like, I mean, obviously it's clear there's, there's not a silver bullet, right? Like it's going to take multiple playbooks, different approaches. Um, and these all have to work in unison, right? Like they all sort of have to have this symphony of working together. Um, and, and I like how you talk a lot about the metrics and there's these feel good metrics that are hitting these quote unquote marketing metrics, CPL, all this sort of stuff. But it sounds like you really put your shoes in the you put yourself in the shoes of the lead and understand the journey of which they want to buy and how they buy and how they sort of move through that effectively. How do you kind of fill that gap? Like, is it really like aligning sales and marketing closer to understand the important metrics? You know, like like how do you find that balance and how do you get those two two silos working better together to drive the to drive the revenue, which is the ultimate goal. The first thing that any marketer listening to this should do that I did in 2015, which then guided a lot of the strategy, is before I passed leads to sales from certain executions, I called them myself. And then I was able to figure out whether or not they actually wanted to talk to me and whether or not they were actually going to close and how if I followed up in five minutes versus 60 minutes, what would happen. And what I found is that the people that said, I want to talk to a sales rep, made a sales conversion, were the only people that we wanted to talk to. So the ebook downloads, they were not interested. And so the webinar people were not interested. So I don't pass those to sales reps anymore because you pass enough bad leads to sales, you're going to create misalignment. And then the good ones they pass to you, they're not going to follow up with. And so um, I made a commitment in 2016 that when I passed the lead to sales, I was going to have a high probability that they were going to be able to move that through a sales process faster than they would on an outbound deal and that they were going to make more money and they, therefore they would prioritize the things that I sent them. And that created pretty good alignment when you start getting reps coming back to you saying, you know, I, our average sales cycle is 210 days. I just closed that deal at the same average deal size in 45 days. Can you send me more? Right. And it just seems so black and white, like obvious, but for some reason, like, um, I mean, the, the reasons are actually like kind of clear to me, but like, that th those are some of the things that I did. Like I put myself in the, in the shoes of a sales rep. I called the people, I figured out whether or not they wanted to talk to me. I figured out whether or not it was worth me, worth me calling them. I deemed that when the ones that weren't worth calling me, it was probably a good idea for me to keep marketing to them before I called them. And so that's what I did. That's interesting. Cause I, I feel like being on the front lines myself, um, a couple of times, 
as I sit there and think about like, well, how many conversations are marketers out there actually having with the people that they're marketing to? And like the short answer is, is probably not a lot, right? And this is, is another idea that I feel like I might've heard you chat with someone mm -hmm. about this on another interview, but like the, the difference between a salesperson kind of like being this brand and this voice. I think it might've been Jake actually. He mentioned like SAP shared mm -hmm. thousand pieces of content and like they had their reps share, you know, their own content and they saw an increase in reads in just in a week and a half. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess maybe could you talk about how you feel about either marketing and sales teaming up to create content or like how the roles might be maybe updated or evolved kind of in this new world we're moving into? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a couple of points you mentioned too, which is that marketers, especially in certain industries, do not talk to customers. They rely on either feedback from sales or they listen to recorded sales calls. And both of those I disagree with for the couple of reasons I'm about to mention. The first one is when sales gives you feedback, um, oftentimes because they have a vested interest in the deal, they do not have an objective view on what the customer actually told them. The second thing is when you listen to sales calls, because it's in a sales situation, the buyer is not comfortable telling you the truth. And when you're listening to sales calls as a marketer, you don't have the opportunity to ask why or how or feel their reaction or see the nonverbal cues about the things that they're actually telling you. And so for all those reasons, I decided that actually going to talk to customers in non-sales situations and getting the real answers, even if they weren't the answers that I was looking for, was helpful. And so I started doing that, which then empowered me to market a lot better, especially when you're selling to people that are not like you. So in that situation, I was selling to pediatric intensivists and respiratory therapists and ER nurses, people that I don't have expertise in there. And so just going out there and talking to them and being in the emergency room at two in the morning and seeing what they talked about and when they changed something on the device, asking why they did it and seeing what it was like and then watching when they were on a break, what they were doing and when they were watching YouTube and when they weren't taking care of a patient, they were scrolling through Instagram, gave me all these insights about how I'm going to then go and market to them. It's a step that nobody takes and it's so, so, so important. Um, and so then what we started to do was with that learning, like we started running Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube ads, and we would get a lot of traction at like somewhere between 10 PM and three in the morning because the healthcare workers working at that time are not that busy. There's not family members in there. The patients are quiet. We had a lot of opportunity to tell our story to people at that time. Um, so, so that's just a little bit of note about like the things that I, I think people could do better in terms of understanding customers from a marketing perspective, the things that they do today versus what I think they should be doing. Now let's talk about creating content. So um, it's different for certain types of companies. Like certain companies have like legal or other regulations. We worked in a medical device company. Like a sales rep couldn't go rogue and create their own content because it's regulated by the FDA. And so in let's ignore those industries that are regulated for, for uh, a minute. And um, my belief is that like companies should be empowering their people to create content. But when you're a sales rep and you're creating content, you, you have to make a choice. In my view, you can't do both. You have to decide whether you're creating content for the people you're trying to sell to, or you're creating content for yourself and your own personal brand, unless you're selling to other salespeople. So if you're selling to ER nurses and you're posting sales content on LinkedIn, that is unlikely to get you any business. Um, but if you're going to interview ER nurses and publish that content on LinkedIn and build an audience inside of the nursing community, or whether that is happens on LinkedIn or somewhere else, that might be a good idea. 
Um, I think that um, companies should train their reps, especially in B2B high ACV. I think people should be spending much more time on LinkedIn than they are making, making cold calls. The thing is that most people, because of how it's measured um, from in a sales environment, cannot do those things. It took me 60 days to build a meaningful pipeline on LinkedIn. Most sales reps would never have the opportunity to do that. And it took me a lot of time. And look what's happening now a year later. Like mo- I, I think the reps that are able to either continue to do their job um, well, their day job, and then do these types of things in their, um, in their free time or their extra time in order to then build up a reputation and audience that they, they can then deploy later will eventually become the best reps. Another interesting insight that I had, and this is back in 2016, um, is that we had uh, field sales reps and we had SDRs that were calling into the territories to book meetings for the, the field sales reps. And almost knew unanimously, the field sales reps, when I collected feedback one-on-one with them when I was out in the field, would tell me, the leads that I source myself are significantly better than the ones from SDRs. And that's an insight. Like that's an insight for everyone. Um, if you're a rep and you're not sourcing your own deals, that's probably an insight that you probably should, you know? Um, and I see it in my own business when people either, um, you know, pass me business or whatever, the ones that come to me or I source myself are better. I think everyone, anyone listening to the podcast can relate to that. Um, and so, yeah, to, just to close, I think everyone should, should know how to create content because I think that is the most effective way to do modern business development, networking, reputation building, and overall generating revenue. So I definitely agree. I think LinkedIn content creation, like being able to showcase yourself as an expert on LinkedIn is going to be the future of pipeline creation, building community, everything. One of the challenges that I see with sales in particular is that it's a, it's a function of instant gratification, right? It's that get that next meeting, close that next deal. What are we doing this month, this quarter? I think very few reps are, have that ability to look very much in the, into the future. And I think the, the building the audience on LinkedIn, this is something that it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight, as you mentioned. So how would you, I mean, maybe what advice would you give to somebody who's like, yeah, I see it. I believe that's where I need to go, but it's just not happening fast enough. Like what, what, how would you coach somebody who has that response? Um, probably to, to think about what they want to do in the future. So there's a couple things that I think first come to mind. One is that if the rep's not planning on being in that company for the next 24 months, then maybe they shouldn't do it. Right? Like, unless they're doing it for their own personal brand to get a different job, maybe they shouldn't. Like I think tenure um, or lack of like visibility into the future or lack of commitment into a certain organization would prevent people from investing the time necessary to do that. That's why I also think that salespeople don't take time to really deeply understand the customers that they're selling to because tenure is so low. Um, But if we look outside of that, the thing that I would challenge people on is one to just like assess how it's going today. And so if you, if you just look black and white about your performance today, like look at how many demos do I need to do in order to close a deal? And if you're coming through outbound, that number is going to be somewhere between probably 10 and 50 demos to close a deal, depending on how, how the quality of the, the outbound production that's coming into you. 
Now, what if I told you that you only had to do three to five demos to close a deal? Because that's what happens when you drive good quality inbound that you source yourself. Okay. So if you didn't have to waste your time doing 49 demos that didn't close, how much more free time would you have to produce content? Like, so it's kind of like, what are the things in your day right now that are waste of time? I, I, the way that I like to tell people to do it is like, if you're spending six hours a day making phone calls, maybe you should just spend four making phone calls. And then you should spend two on LinkedIn creating content. Or maybe you should keep spending the six making cold calls because you might have to to hit the KPIs that you have. But maybe instead of working seven hours because you take a long lunch and things like that, maybe you should work nine. You should squeeze it in. It, it, it all comes down to, to for people. But what are they trying to accomplish? If you just want to, if you want to be the, you know, top, top 33% of your, of the rep, not the top rep, but in the, in like the middle tier, like maybe you should just keep doing it the way that you're doing it. Um, if you want to be the best, or if you want to grow in your career and you want to do something innovative and different or stand out or excel, like what I found a long time ago, and it's showing now as I continue to progress in my company is like, you oftentimes got to do stuff differently than everyone else is doing in order to stand out and not just do stuff differently for the sake of doing differently, but to seriously assess what's happening today, figure out about what, what about it is inefficient or wrong or incorrect or not buyer focused and do something differently. I love that. I I think that's such a good point to, to kind of end on and, it's, it's definitely like another thing that as I think about like tenure and, and the time that reps are spending at companies, like that's a really important question as people start to really consider like, what does the future sales role look like? Is it, co- is it coming in through um, some sort of training program that's teaching you how to create content, how to find your true voice, and then figuring out how the brand that you're working with at this time aligns with your values And then you're saying, hey, like, I really care about, you know, medical device professionals. And so, like, for me, I'm going to build up a medical device brand as a thought leader. And I'm going to go really deep on that stuff about my favorite ones. And then on the flip side, it's like, well, if I care nothing about medical devices and I still want to build a brand for myself, like, how can I do that while being at this company? And I don't want to be this LinkedIn personality, per se, but I still want to do my job well. And it's like, okay, well, here's a plan for you that you can use too. So uh, I'm curious to see how this kind of unfolds and I'm really excited to um, kind of continue to see what you develop and, and learn uh, while you're at some of these companies. Awesome guys. Yeah, this was, uh, this was fun. Great questions. New, some new ideas came out of it, which I think was the goal. Um, and so for, if, if you guys don't know, we currently work with 12 different, mainly software as a service companies, a couple manufacturing companies, um, one professional service organization, but for the most part, um, high growth SaaS. And so um, if you want to, you know, schedule a different time and go a little bit deeper specifically in, in that, um, little area, I would be happy to talk more about specific tactics or whatever. Cause the questions here were really great. Chris, I, I gotta be honest. I've got, I've got one last question for you because I, I know I got time, man, let's do it. So I, I know content, content strategy, content creation seems to be, it, it's a constant thing, but it seems to be almost like the, the nucleus of, of your strategies for growth, right? It's really like that, that main concept that you have to nail. Uh, and I think I, I saw you talking about like understanding your audience, right? Like that is the the number one thing. It's not creating content to drive to a sale necessarily, but understanding your audience and creating your content to tailor to that. 
A, why do you think so many marketers get that wrong? And, and B, you know, what are the steps that you would take to understand exactly who your audience is and effectively how to then create content and market to them? Yeah, so so the way that I break this down in both parts are equally important is step one, create content. Step two, know how to distribute it. Content and distribution are two separate things. Creating content, posting on Facebook is not content. Facebook is distribution. And so once we have kind of like definitions aligned, um, you, you know, I figured this out for myself when I was marketing and creating content when I didn't understand the audience and no one read it. Like, I think if you literally, like if people take the time to look and see the engagement metrics in their content and what people are saying and whether or not it's good in their target market, they would understand if they looked at it objectively that maybe the content just isn't good. And if you think about why the content isn't good, it's because you don't understand the audience, and you can't deliver them value. Um, and the second piece is that because of how companies set up their metrics, again, in the, the content is not designed to provide value to the audience. It's designed to put behind a form so you can get leads. And therefore, it, it changes the approach and the quality of the content because of that is the goal, not to create things that are valuable, which then lead to someone actually wanting to buy from you. Instead, let's steal their email address with a nice headline and then try and sell to them. Um, and so um, I, think some, I think some companies do... Con there are companies that do content well for whatever reason, and they don't know how to distribute it. I think that is actually... Um, it, the, the most easily fixable thing for companies out there was pretend that you do create good content and you do understand your audience and it's not working. Almost certainly it's because you do not know how to distribute it. And so that's either the format's wrong. Um, you're relying on your sales reps to actually communicate the content or send it, not doing it at scale over the top. Um, that you're, you, you're distributing it in channels where people are not listening, like you're handing out brochures at a trade show or you're trying to do a demo at a trade show. Like Maybe you could film the three-minute video um, of the demo and then run LinkedIn ads on it or something. Like, and you would probably get more consumption of the demo that way for way less expensive than if you tried to buy the booth and have people show up on your door. So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I kind of went on some tangents there, but that's, that's what I'm thinking. No, it makes a ton of sense. Um, makes a ton of sense. And again, I think it's, it's just interesting how like fairly objectively you kind of diagnose these, these, pro these problems and like very in a systematic way, as you discussed. Um, another reason that I think Travis and I like really started this podcast is because we're, we're seeing the sales, the marketing, this, this called like the category of revenue. It's, it's evolving so fast. Mm -hmm. um, there's new tactics, there's new channels, there's new technology, there's new data, there's everything. Um, and if you look at the MarTech landscape, right, that's, uh, built out by chiefmartech.com in 2014, there was 947 solutions on it mm -hmm. today. There's over 8,000, right? Mm -hmm. So for, it's a, for a marketer to go to and rely on technology, it's a very crowded space. Is there any type of new category, new theme, new companies that got you really excited that you think the proof is really worth the pudding. I think marketers struggle to do their job because they spend too much time in technology and not enough time with their customers and communicating. We do, we have very little tech like HubSpot, Salesforce, maybe a couple point solutions, but all the other stuff is just unnecessary. What it comes down to is can you communicate with the people you're trying to sell to? And so I like to keep it simple. 
I find because um, there are so many options and people think that the technology is going to be able to do their job for them and magically create revenue and do all these things that tech vendors have pushed them to think will happen. Um, they actually get away from like the core marketing principles that are very simple that help you do your job. And so I understand that there are plenty of technology solutions that can augment a sound marketing strategy, but a lot of people think that it's a replacement. And so um, to be to be direct, no, like there we use very little tech and have a lot of success. Um, and you know, in t- until for companies until we go in and we're able to say we have completely one, we have a, we've captured all the existing demand Two, we've maxed out all of the possible channels to create new demand. Three, we have gone all in on thought leadership and brand and organic social and done that to 100% effort is the only time where I would start looking at all additional solutions. And the, the fact is that 99.9% of companies will never get to that point. They try and insert tech, I think, way too early in the process. Um, and so, yeah, not probably not, not a popular answer to a lot of people, but that's the way that I see it. I, I think, though, I actually I love the answer because, it's it, to your point, I think it's probably not what a lot of people are thinking or seeing or, or working through. Um, and again, I see a lot of companies that are investing in this technology in a band-aid approach to solve a problem, but what they what they end up lacking is either the adoption to it because they're not really behind it. They just think if I buy this, it's going to fix that, and that's never the case. So um, I actually really appreciate the answer. Cool. Yeah. Same. So I was going to say same here, and like as one of the things I don't know if you picked up, but as we've been going through everything you've been saying, has been getting <laughs> whiteboarded nice. out. It's just how I think, and that's one of the things I mentioned on another episode, like. I learned through conversation and through writing ideas down. And one of the things that kind of jumped off this whiteboard at me just now, as we're wrapping up here, is like, you can't replace great communications with technology. And that's something I think is super important. And Kevin, that stat from 947 a couple of years ago to 8,000 today, it's literally like a New Yorker trying to go to Seamless to figure out what's for dinner. That's my life, right? Like previous life before all this happened. But um, as you, as I kind of think and kind of wrapping all this up, like at the end of the day, it sounds like Chris, like you're very much a more traditional, like let's understand what people need and then give it to them. And then on top of that, like don't complicate the process. Keeping it simple, I think is always really nice. I had a post when we try and recall it. It's like our, all of the best marketing cam- campaigns I've ever run where we spend like $50,000 plus on a campaign have been rooted in simplicity, empathy. Um, yeah, like there, there was one more, I can't recall it right now, but like those are the, those are the two important ones. Um, and so like, yeah, I would say like until you can do the basics, like until you can run a mile, there is no sense trying to run a marathon. Yeah, that that sound biteable. I'm that I'm. I'm gonna put, <laughs> put that one on the wall, man. Um, you know what? I I love it though because as we're talking about this, right? And it's it's very much like a. I don't want to. I mean, to an extent, a little bit of like a minimalist uh, approach. But at the same time, it's like you're going back to like the 1920s market research, like Daniel Starch type. Like 
I need to advertise. I need to know who I'm advertising to. So I'm just going to go on the street and talk to these people. Right. And it's like, there's so many things you can do, but it's all kind of noise. And that voice of the customer is sort of what fuels your strategy, your approach, your content, your everything, which it's simple. It makes a lot of sense. But I think again, back to your point around metrics, people are getting overly obsessed about things that really don't matter. I love it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to say I'm voting for that follow-up conversation, Kevin. I'm, I'm super yeah, down. hundred percent, man. hundred like, percent. The, the way that the, the the way that this is, is just going through my head and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like one of the biggest uh, areas that I'll see and then we can end with this is like from the like SDR, like marketer point of view, right? Like I've always been a, a marketer in an SDR body, right? So hmm. um, as I, as I think about this, I'm like, hmm, like where can teams really like capitalize on their, their, their resources? Like if you got a team of 17 SDRs and set 10 marketers, like the collective reach of those SDRs is, um, uh, can be immense. And you can test 17 different campaigns similar to how you test Facebook audiences or LinkedIn ad audiences. So like, I guess, would you mind ending on like what some of these larger teams can do or how can they realize that they have all this like locked up potential in the people that are on their teams already? Yeah. So my, my perspective and what usually happens when we start working with companies uh, just to be direct is that um, initially we'll start drive, we'll come in and then over time we'll start driving quality um, inbound opportunities and those will go to SDRs and over time they will realize that the quality of the lead is so good that they don't need the SDR layer that can just go to an account executive and I know because I've done this at enough companies that the close rates will be better if you just send it straight to the AE. Okay. And so if that's the case, then you don't have inbound SDRs anymore. So the SDRs need to go outbound. And when that happens, it will expose how inefficient relative to other ways to get revenue that the out, outbound channel is. And so then the, oper- the, the decision is, do you shrink the SDR team or do you have them do something different? And I think the answer is probably a blend of both. The team probably could be smaller given um, if you have a well-running demand gen engine, you may not, as an inbound digital demand gen engine, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't need so many people. And then the second thing to think about is what else could these people be doing that might be more effective than what they're doing today? And I just don't, I'm not sure that anyone's like actually taking a look at that. And so Clary's running an experiment right now. Um, I, I'm a big fan of what they're doing, which is basically like, they let their SDRs take whatever approach they want for a week. Um, and then hopefully find like hire smart people and let them try and figure out a better way to do them than just telling them to, you know, send 35 emails and make 55 phone calls every day. And, uh, and then you might find that, you know, you know, Stevie over here decides that he's going to post videos on LinkedIn every day and get six, six deals and four of them actually close. And then you're like, okay, wow, we would have probably had to make 10,000 phone calls or more in order to get the four deals before. Maybe this is a better way. And so, um, so I really like the idea of like letting, letting smart people try different things. And so I would probably set, I would, this, the team would probably shrink. I would move some of that, that money over back to digital demand and to make that go faster or resources or whatever. And then I would break the, the uh, SDR team into different little groups and let them experiment with different things in the hopes of finding a better approach than what's happening today. Oh, 
I, I think that's a great place to end. Um, and I, one of the last things, every time you say something, it literally spurs another thought, which I don't, I, it's a, it, it, I don't know how to explain this, but um, it, it, it just makes me think about um, just so many things. And I'm going to stop myself now because I'm just like, let's, let's, let's we'll save it for next more. time. Take those mental yeah, notes. Yeah. We can, <laughs> we can do that next week or the week after um, whenever you want.